this is Sophie Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Hello, this is Linus Wilson. Welcome to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. In this episode, we talk to Wally Moran, who has authored or co-authored a cruising guide uh, with the waterway guide called Cuba Bound. We get to talk about that in this interview. Wally is a longtime journalist and a very uh, accomplished sailor. I'm still getting ready for my trip this May, and I the, the latest things that I've been kind of thinking about is insurance and also my dog. My dog, Daly, is my most frequent sailing companion. Uh, so he was on the entire trip in the Slow Boat to Bahamas book, and uh, I'd love to take him on the Panama trip. But as you know, if you read Slow Boat to the Bahamas, I'm not so great with customs and immigration and have made some big mistakes in the past. Luckily, Daly's uh, clearance was pretty smooth in the Bahamas, although their regulations are very confusing. And if you are planning on traveling to the Bahamas, I would highly recommend uh, that you check out uh, the Bahamas Cruising and Sailing Facebook group and ask the experts about how to travel with a pet in the Bahamas because there's a lot of kind of confusing stuff out there. But on, on this summer's trip, I have several countries that I'm planning on visiting, Mexico, Cuba, uh, Colombia, Providencia, Cayman Islands, and Panama. And all those are going to have different regulations for pets, and I just want to make sure that I'm going to be able to clear with daily, and I've got, there's a lot of kind of pre-work that you have to do to, to have a pet. But I think it's worth it because there's no greater friend than a dog. I just investigated the Cayman Islands, and I was very disappointed with what I heard. I, I, they were actually fairly helpful. I checked out uh, Stephen uh, Palavides' guide, uh, which he talks about the Cayman Islands. It's a little dated, but there's not really a lot of guides out there that talk about the Cayman Islands, and probably because a lot of sailors don't visit there. But if you're coming from, you know, the middle of Cuba trying to get a beam reach to Panama, it's right on the way. And it's a fairly good stop to reprovision. It's going to be expensive, but you're going to get a lot of stuff that you can't get in Cuba for sure uh, if you want to stop there. But I'm thinking I'm going to skip it based on my conversation with them. They basically have a policy that if your boat has visited any Latin American country, including Cuba, including Mexico, then you're not allowed to stop in the Cayman Islands with a pet. And uh, if you read uh, Stephen uh, Palavides' guide, uh, and I think this reflects the regs that, that were sent to me and the discussions I had, they're pretty stringent and they may even put down your dog. Uh, because they're so worried, uh, they say they're so worried about rabies. To me, I, I think that's kind of crazy because you're giving them all these certificates saying that your dog is already 
vaccinated for rabies and you're giving him all these blood tests, etc. So even if you had, he was in a country where there were dogs with rabies uh, and rabies was not well controlled, you know, he should be immune to it. But that doesn't matter. You know, the rules are the rules. To me, if you look at the list of countries that you can bring a dog or cat from, those are all English-speaking countries. If you look at the countries that you, countries that you can bring a dog or cat from, Bahamas, USA, Jamaica, Antigua, or St. Vincent, all these are kind of English-speaking countries. Countries you can't bring uh, you know, dogs or cats on your boat from Spanish-speaking countries. I worry that this is a cultural bias, not scientifically based. Uh, but maybe, maybe there's some truth in that. There's maybe there's some scientific justification for that. Although I, you know, I don't think the political process in the U.S. is anything like scientific, so I don't think it's probably in the Cayman Islands. But I, I wish they'd change their policies. They're not going to do that for me. So I'm probably going to skip the Cayman Islands. And if we stop between Cuba uh, and Panama, we'll probably stop at uh, Providencia, uh, which is a Colombian island, but it is closer to Nicaragua than it is to Colombia. Well, that's enough for me. Let's hear what we can learn from Wally Moran. I apologize for the audio. We had all kinds of trouble with the Wi-Fi signal, where he was getting it and his cell phone and lawnmowers. I still think he has a lot of important things to say. When did you first get Gypsy Wind? I got Gypsy Wind about, I think it was 13 years ago, 14 years ago. It was a donation boat uh, with a, uh, a Chesapeake Bay charity. So it was an excellent deal, but of course it required some work. Okay, and you've had it for how many years? Did you fix it up a lot before you went on kind of extended cruises? Yes, it needed some electronics, it needed, and it needed a brand new, it needed a new engine, so I put a new engine How long did that take you to refit it before you started going on some extended cruises? Yeah, I think that's I think that's something that I was kind of amazed with this past year when we went on our extended cruise. I I never really relied on this the social media to help me out prior to a couple years ago because we hadn't found groups, Facebook groups really. We were only a member of a very small group for a long time that really didn't get many comments about our old CNC boat. Uh, I think that's right, that that you can be a kind of a less of an expert today because there's so many resources out there to help you uh, do it yourself. There's a great deal of knowledge available today that wasn't available um, 14 years ago when I started cruising. Um, I I guess I can say that I want to contribute to some of that with some of the projects that I've done and I'm very pleased about that. But the only reason I ever got out cruising was because of the help of people who've been there before and, and talking things I needed 
to uh, to say that would have been given to them previously, and that's that's what I like about the, the sailing world. Um, in order to do that, and, and they don't just step aside, but they help connect that along. Yeah, so I think that your group uh, Sailing and Cruising and your group Sailing and Cruising in Cuba are just great examples of, of Facebook groups that really can help people um, even maybe more than the people that they meet on the dock because you'll get, if you have an interesting post, you'll probably get 30 comments on a, a large Facebook group uh, versus you might pick the brain of a few people at your marina or at your anchorage. That's uh, true. Thank you, Anish, for the compliment. Uh, the, the big thing about Facebook, of course, is that when you're getting social media, you can get a little bit out of control, and I, the mods and I try to keep it on topic as much as we can. Uh, of course, that's much like herding cats when you're dealing with sailors. But, but by and large, you know, I, I get frequently emails from people or PMs from people saying, you know, thank you for the group, it's been a great help to us. You've been writing for sailing periodicals uh, most of your cruising career, is that right? That's correct. I was a, a newspaper owner and publisher for about 25 years. And uh, in my late 40s, I tired of it. Uh, with the simplest explanation, the stress just got to be too much. So I decided that I would go boating. Um, but I thought that I missed writing, and so I got back into writing and started writing for a number of sailing periodicals and continued to do so today. Um, as anybody who writes will say, well, you're a writer yourself. Yeah, so you've been been published in all the the major magazines. I think currently you're one of the senior editors uh, for the Waterway Guide, and you have a a new book out called Cuba Bound, is that right, with the Waterway Guide? Yes, um, I've been uh, a cruising editor for Waterway Guide now for probably 11 or 12 years, I guess, uh, after the back of the book. Shortly after that, I started writing for Sail Magazine, uh, written for um, Ben Sheeta, written Passage Maker, I've uh, published Soundings, um, huge number of publications. Um, I have some upcoming articles, including most of that, which I'm really looking forward to, uh, to working with the editors there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's something I've always enjoyed. Then, of course, I have uh, my videos, uh, First Time Resigned to Sailing Sound, which is a uh, uh, the hour-long version of my book show seminar, and I'm forbidding forbidding Cuba, which is uh, now undergoing an update because, of course, there's so much new information available on Cuba. So, if somebody wanted to get your video, how would they uh, best get your video? The easiest way to get the videos would be to go to the sailingchannel.tv. Uh, it's www.sailingchannel.tv/cuba or slash icw. 
I think that's really nice. I don't think there's a lot of videos out there that are kind of video cruising guides. For instance, I don't think the Shards have ever visited Cuba and recorded that. Is that right? Uh, I actually was talking to Paul and Joe the other day. They've never done Cuba, but they also don't do a... Um, their, what they do is they take the seasons have you visited Cuba since you started cruising? Most Americans are probably going to be coming from Key West or Marathon, and they're probably going to visit uh, Veradero and Havana, and that's probably it, uh, especially since the, there's this 14-day rule, which makes it a lot easier for American boaters to visit for only 14 days, but not ex an extended period. That's right. With the, um, the two-week limit on, on how long a vessel can stay, an American vessel can stay in Cuba, the the best trip if you want to do some mileage and, and see a little bit of the country, uh, as you said, would be Marathon to Veradero. And I've done that trip, it's quite easy. Uh, then from Veradero, do, the over, do an overnight passage to Havana, the Marina anyway. And if you can time it right, coming past the city of Havana, the harbor, when the sun is rising, it's just spectacular. It's just gorgeous. From Hemingway, then of course, it's, it's perfectly possible to... Um, it's perfectly possible to run uh, down the coast uh, to Keo Ibiza, um, which is 
what a lovely little resort and then clear up from Tierra Vista, come back by the Tortugas and extend your vacation a bit. Now, where is Cara La Vista? Cara Vista is about, um, I don't look at the chart, I'm guessing, but it's about 70 miles west of Havana, in just, um, just a little to the east of the Gulf of the Guajac, Guajanaca Vista. It's, it's a port of entry and exit? No, it's, uh, you can only exit from Cara uh, Vista. Okay. I would think that the Gulf Stream would if you're leaving from 70 miles west of uh, Havana, I think the Gulf Stream would just push you to Key West. Is that right or not really? Oh, oh yeah, to give you a good shot. Uh, another another uh, alternative method would be to go all the way west to Cabo San Antonio to the, uh, the Marina and Morro, and then uh, jump off from Morro, which is a port of entry and exit, and then uh, run the Gulf Stream uh, all the way back to, like I said, drive Tortugas or Key West. That would be a very fast trip because, of course, you're, you're catching the Gulf Stream right at the tip there. Yeah, and so I'm very interested in Marina Los Moros because that's, that's where I've uh, kind of applied for my permit to, to enter into. Uh, but from what I've seen of it, it looks uh, rugged. It, it doesn't look like it has a lot of amenities. It, it looks like a, a bunch of rocks shooting out into the water. No, it's, it's very pretty there, but there is very, very little. Is it a safe place to tie up? Yeah, that's very weather dependent. If you've got any sort of a, a, a storm coming in, any sort of a norther, you absolutely need to be on the west side of the dock. Uh, the eastern side of the dock is, is just horrendous. Uh, but the alternative is if you've got weather coming in, then you move over to the, uh, the small keylets, which are, um, oh, I'm going to say about a mile and a half to the east of Cabo of the Morro. And, um, you tie up in the mangroves there, and that's quite well protected. And that's what people usually do when the weather starts to kick up there. Staying on the dock in Morris when, you're, when there's a northern going through is really not a recommended uh, procedure. But you do need to tie up to check in. Oh, yeah, you tie up to check in. And uh, then, as I said, there is possible to uh, go and anchor out at the, um, the, uh, the mangroves in uh, Tierra de la Fluna. My pronunciation is that I usually only say these words when I'm looking at a chart or a book. Yeah, I, I thought I read it as Lalania, but, I, you know, I'm sure my pronunciation is horrid. Yeah, that's right, Lalania. That's right. Uh, so I just, had, I just spoke to Tate McDaniel, and he sails a boat called Sundowner uh, with his wife, Danny, and he said he was going from Marina Hemingway to Isla, and he just really uh, had a very difficult trip. Uh, he tried to sail most of the way, uh, and I guess if you're looking at the currents there, it, it probably would be a difficult trip. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you're, you're bucking a huge current that's coming around from the south side and, and around the west side of uh, Cuba. This is why um, the, the smart money, you would go inside, um, inside the region in Cuba and avoid the current entirely. And in fact, doing that, 
you're going to give yourself a, a beautiful downwind sail um, with, without the hassle of trying to fight the Gulf Stream current coming around uh, the north tip of Cuba. Well, I think he, I think he did follow that advice. I think he had an okay sail, except for maybe light winds, close to shore. But once he left Cabo San Antonio, it was, it was a lot tougher. Oh yeah, from Cabo San Antonio is brutal. And the reason for that, of course, is that um, Cuba and, and Isla Mahara from about 120 miles apart. So all of that water coming out of the uh, out of the south of Cuba is now being funneled into that narrow uh, that narrow area. And, of course, you know, it, it just speeds up. It's a huge, huge current through there. Uh, my understanding is it's uh, as much as five, six knots sometimes. Yeah, I, I think you, you mentioned to me once you had tried it and it was just, it was too much of a current for you on that day. Yeah, on my, on my second trip through, I was thinking of going to do the south coast of Cuba. So I, I came around, I came out of Moro and, uh, and headed south uh, around the island. Uh, and I was doing seven and a half knots under sail and had an absolutely great time with flat water. And suddenly I'm looking at uh, six, seven foot uh, long uh, seas and uh, my speed drops to about two and a half. And I just thought to myself, uh, I don't see doing, you know, several hundred miles of this kind of thing. So I decided that I would turn around and go back up to Havana and save the south coast for another season. Yeah, I guess it's very dependent on the conditions and, and uh, maybe also exactly where you are. Supposedly there's a countercurrent around the tip, but maybe not. Yeah, there's, there's, um, there's apparently a countercurrent in close to the coast, but uh, I don't, uh, you know, in waters that I don't know, I don't want to get into close to the coast. And that would apply particularly in, in Cuba because, you know, I've got good charts, the NV charts, and I'm not too concerned, but. On the other hand, I, I tend to be more cautious, and I'd rather be, you know, far enough offshore. If I decide to try that direction again, I may have to reevaluate that. But my plan is to go back to Cuba, via the Bahamas, um, go uh, sail to um, the port of Ed, sail back to the port of Vida, do some hopscotching east down the coast until I come to the um, Cabo Macy, which is the eastern tip, and then turn around and go along to there. Um, that. Uh, Okay, so I'm tr I'm trying to visualize this Cabo Macy. I should have had the map in front of me. Cabo Macy is the far eastern coast of Cuba. Okay, so you're you're thinking of doing the Windward Passage? Yes, that's correct. I'm going to go to the Bahamas and meet my eagle brother, which takes me Bahamas, uh, Ragged Island, through the Puerto Rico, and then go. Okay. All right. And and you've done that route before, but you've gone to the the north. I mean, you haven't gone through the Windward Passage, but you've gone uh, around the Bahamas to go to the north coast before. Is that correct? No, no. I've um, I've gone the Bahamian route twice, coming down the Puerto Rico as my port of entry. And the reason for that is it makes a very very simple passage. Uh, there's nothing strenuous about it. The distance from Ragged Island to Puerto Vida is about 68 out of a mile. So it's an easy run, and you do have the current with you when you do it. So, I mean, if you get uh, to the Ragged Islands in the Bahamas, that's still, that's pretty remote. Uh, you've got to have a very self-sufficient vessel, as you do to visit Cuba. Oh, absolutely. Once you get out of, um, once you get out of Long Island, uh, once you get out of Georgetown, the Bahamas Island area, there's nothing down there. Like when I went to Ragged Island, I realized that I should probably have a little more diesel fuel 
guess there's, there's nothing there. People order what they need and it's brought in by the mailboat and uh, there's really nothing available for sale except, um, you know, a few sodas and, um, and incidentals such as that. There's very, very little in the way of provisioning type stuff. You absolutely have to be self-sufficient anytime you go south of Georgetown. I, I think that brings up a good point. What is the shopping like in Cuba for someone that's going to visit the north coast of Cuba? Can they expect to refill their perishables or is that should they not expect that? They're not going to find regular grocery stores. Uh, for most meat products and for all vegetable products, your best bet is to find a farmer's market. Uh, make sure you have a few hundred pesos nacional rather than suits. Of course, Cuba has a few different varieties of money. And then uh, the shopping to get to the market. Very, very expensive, and the food is fresh and, uh, and, and well presented. Uh, and the market's just an adventure in itself if you've never shopped at a, uh, a market of this nature. Uh, it's, not, it's not difficult, and you'll get most of what you need. Things you need, such as um, cookies or crackers or, or, I won't call them luxury products because for us they're not really cute, but they can be. You have to go to a, um, a dollar store um, and, and pick those things up there if they're even available. Okay. What should uh, someone definitely bring to, to Cuba on their boat? They should not presume that they can find anything. Now, we have a list of in Cuba bound, if it's going to be like Cuba bound, you should pay up pay. Um, if you like milk, for example, and you don't want to make it out of powder, then bring yourself some long life milk. If you like chocolate, bring chocolate. Beef is another one. Um, sundries, uh, I'm going to say things, uh, paper products, toilet paper. That sort of thing, make sure that you bring those along. But generally, bring, make sure that you're self-sufficient for your entire cruise and that you're not going to be running out of anything that you feel you must have. And then in Cuba, if you see something that you want, buy lots of it. Because it doesn't mean you'll see it again down the road. Uh, Cuba is known for its shortages. So, what are your favorite places to visit on the North Coast? In terms of city, and this is going to sound, uh, sound uh, just wrong to a lot of people, but I really enjoy Veradero. Havana is immensely interesting and historic. I just found Veradero more relaxed, more entertaining in many ways. Uh, my dead bang on favorite though would have to be Tierra Vista because it's got that uh, Cuban flair. But it's a resort, uh, very, very relaxed, nice anchorage. Um, but seriously, if you mention your interest, it's all very, very interesting. Uh, even just cruising in some of the seas in the, uh, the more remote areas, you'll run into Cuban fishermen and such, and that alone can make for an interesting day uh, in Cuba. Tell me the, the ports covered in Cuba Bound. Oh, gotcha. Uh, in Cuba Bound, we cover about 40 anchorages and marinas all along the north coast. Um, we, pay, we pay special attention to the, uh, the ports of entry and exit, which of course are uh, from west to east, or east to west, pardon me, are uh, Puerto de Vida, Cielo Guillermo, which is only a port of entry, Veradero, uh, of course, and there, there are two ways in Veradero. We cover the situation there because only one of them is a port of entry now. We obviously cover Hemingway in some detail. Uh, we discuss Cielo Vista, and of course, we discuss Morrow. So we cover them all along the north coast because. Of course, we don't know whether you're going to go just to Havana or whether you're going to do a cruise along the entire coast. We want to make it as inclusive as possible with as much information 
So in terms of what are you looking for uh, to cross from Key West or Marathon, what kind of weather are you looking for to make that crossing? How long does it normally take? Maybe in a 35-foot boat? Um, Veradero to Marathon, or Marathon, excuse me, to Veradero, it's about 115 miles. Now, typically your winds are going to be out of the east, northeasterly, or against the Gulf Stream. So you're going to have some lumpiness no matter what happens. Typically, you'll find your best weather following a, um, a, a, a norther going through, but of course that's only winter weather. You want to, if you can, you want a westerly component in the wind, and, and you're just not typically going to get that. So generally, lighter winds uh, and up to 15 knots. I said there one time, but unfortunately I had a new prop that was the wrong prop for my board. I got into the Gulf Street and my feet got knocked out of those two knots. I turned around and went back to deal with that issue at, uh, Mar- at Marathon, and by the time I got back about 18 hours later, there were uh, 15 to 20 knot winds, and uh, I actually had to reef sail to make it across, and we made it across in great time. Then I had to hold up because I didn't want to hit a Veradero, Veradero's Paso Malo in the condition. Now, since Paso Malo and, and Gartenia is no longer a port of entry, uh, that wouldn't have been a concern. We would have entered 12 miles in the east, heading in towards Gaviota Marina. Uh, and then when you're coming back from maybe Veradero or Marina Hemingway, where, uh, what kind of weather are you looking for there? The same thing? Same situation. You know, again, you want a westerly component in the wind if you can find it, which again is not typical. Normal fact to design yourself is fact you're going to get a bit of lump in it. You're going to get through seven, eight foot seas. It's just the nature of the, um, the area that you're in. The wind is against the current pretty much all the time there. Um, but that being said, Okay. Is there anything that you would like to add that I haven't asked you about? there being any credit card facilities, especially for Americans. Uh, that definitely was some, a lesson I learned in the Exumas that you, you really want to have a lot of cash when you're cruising abroad. Uh, but that's, that's doubly, triply so in Cuba. Even though they've changed the American regulations sort of 
American, Canadian, or European. So yes, absolutely, bring cash. Don't assume that you're going to be able to get by with a credit or a debit card, because you won't be able to. So tell me about uh, the, the rally that you've been organizi organizing, the, the ICW rally. Oh, the Sun, sun Rally. Uh, this will be my third rally down the ICW. Um, my goal is to take people who are new to the ICW and would like to come stuff with the assurance that they're not going to run into trouble. Now, the ICW is not a tremendously difficult uh, piece of water to transit, but it is challenging, especially if you've not done that sort of sailing before. Um, our goal is to provide people with a comfortable, safe passage to assist them with the decision-making, to guide them through the difficult portion, and, and of, of very great importance, to provide them with a peer group to enjoy their trip. Most people coming south, of course, have, have left, have they're retired, they've left their families, they've left their jobs, uh, they've left their social group back home, and they're traveling together on their own. Uh, traveling with a group, of course, gives you uh, people that you can relate to who are sharing the same goals and the same adventures as you are. Everybody on our last two trips has remained wonderful friends. Uh, even a couple of years down the road, they're constantly in contact and looking for opportunities to visit with each other one again. Uh, each other once again. It's um, it's a wonderful trip, a lot of fun. We've been welcomed by many communities on the ICW, you know, with hosted uh, receptions and parties. It's a great time. I look forward to doing it again. And that that starts in Norfolk, is that right, or where does that start? Uh, the trip starts in uh, Hampton, Virginia, and it runs south to um, to Miami, of course. And we take about seven to eight weeks to do the trip, so that way we've got lots of time to explore, lots of time to rest, and should we have any bad weather, we've got time to avoid the bad weather. Um, you can do it faster, of course, but it starts to become too much of a slog and, and not an enjoyable trip when you cut too much time out. Sounds good. And you normally start that, when did you say? How much does the rally cost? Uh, last year, with, uh, we just opened up my first sale of the sun. Rally. That was my second rally, the first sale of the sun. This year's cost will be eight ninety five. Okay, so it's not it's not a huge expense. No, um, we get a number of uh, marinas that host us for free. We get a significant number of receptions and such. Um, there's there's certainly more than adequate value in that cost. And then, of course, it's just uh, the, the peace of mind of knowing that you have a competent individual to lead you through the challenging areas such as Little Mud River or Capitol Creek or Chalice uh, and places like that where there's known uh, shoaling and, and uh, problem issues. Are you leading any rallies to Cuba? Interesting you ask that. Um, I'm talking with a number of people right now uh, about the possibility of doing a rally in the late spring. Um, I'm going to be speaking to uh, some people later on this week about making sure that they're both available and uh, if we can come to an agreement, we'll, we'll see what we can put together. I think, uh, I think the likelihood is high that we'll be doing a rally to Cuba out of Cuba. Okay, great. But that's still not in the final, it's not been finalized, so there's no place anybody could go to find that out. No, it's not been finalized. In fact, uh, this is, we've been talking about 
understanding what I would do uh, to have an anniversary. Great. And if somebody wanted to participate in the Sail to the Sun rally, how would they? How would they do that? How would? They, where would they go? They can either contact me through the Facebook Sailing and Cruising page, or alternatively, they can go to my website www.icwally.com, and that's icwally.com. Okay. And if somebody wanted to get Cuba bound, where would be the best place to get Cuba bound? They can either order Cuba bound directly from, from me through the uh, standing and cruising Cuba page, or they can order it online from Waterway Guide. So, what have been your kind of biggest challenges when you kind of went from uh, your land-based existence to uh, a full-time liveaboard? I think the biggest challenge was getting rid of all the stuff that I collected. You know, I had a house with the, the, the garage and all the other appurtenances, and I just had a ton of things that, that had no place or no room on a boat. Um, I had a couple of garage sales which were fabulously unsuccessful, <laughs> gave away a lot of stuff, and, and then sort the balance of it. Great. What would be your advice for uh, people that are kind of going on a similar journey as you are? What mistakes should they avoid? What what things should they do? What should they expect if they're going to sell their house and uh, live on a boat and go on? And well, it's, the biggest thing, of course, in doing something of this nature is that people fear it. Uh, they fear, when people fear change the, the natural uh, rule. Um, don't be afraid to change and embrace it because the changes that will come to your life uh, moving to a, a cruising life are well worth the effort that it takes to get there. Um, I know of no single person who has gone from living uh, in a house to living aboard and cruising who regrets having done such. Okay. Um, and uh, I, I guess I could name a few, but anyway. <laughs> I won't right now. Um, okay. I, I could name at least one right off the top of my head, but uh, I, I won't do it right now. So he wrote a book about it, but it, was, it wasn't me. Where have you been besides, you, you've been up and down the ICW many times. Do you, you sail out of Ontario, is that right? You originally came down from Ontario? Yes, my home port is in uh, Georgian Bay of Lake Huron in Ontario. Um, I don't get back there every summer, though, and the reason for that, of course, is that Okay. And you, so you have a place up there, you have an apartment or something? Um, I did have a home, I sold it. I usually stay with uh, one of my relatives, often my sister when I'm up there. Okay. So you said you got Gypsy Wind in the Chesapeake, is that right? Is that? Well, summers, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, but you, you have sailed it, so you commissioned it in the Chesapeake, but you have sailed back to Ontario at least one season, is that right? So you normally, you don't take the seaway, you take the, the, you lock through to Ontario? Yeah, I take the locks to uh, Upper New York State, the Erie Barge Canal. Very lovely, very enjoyable, even with the stick down. One of these things, I do intend to take the seaway, but that's a, a very long and a very challenging route, and you have to start quite early in the season, because the sailing season on the uh, East 
And you've you've visited the Bahamas for many seasons. What's your favorite place in the Bahamas? places and takes a long time to explore them all. So you've, you've visited the Bahamas, you've visited Cuba extensively. Are there any other places, other islands, either in the Caribbean or uh, on the edge of the Caribbean that you've visited? Um, I've been far over to BDI uh, and come, um, I've come west from the BDI to um, Puerto Rico. I've been a couple of times to Puerto Rico. I've just seen the Dominican uh, um, That sounds like a very tough assignment. adventurer so when you when you went up to the, the BVIs and uh, Puerto Rico and Luperon was that in Gypsy Wind or was that kind of part of a charter or some captain deliveries okay all right and I guess if somebody wanted to contact you about deliveries that they contact you probably most easily through your Facebook page Uh, so your plan this season, you're, you're planning on coming back to Cuba this season. You said you're gonna you're gonna do the Bahamas Cuba loop. Not this season. Um, we'll do the rally to Cuba from the looks of it, and that'll be uh, out of Key West. Okay. But um, my own personal uh, my own personal goal this year, Gibson and I are going to sail from here in Miami through to the Bahamas, uh, over to Lutra, and then we're gonna go north. And I want to go and explore the Abacos. Okay. So you're gonna. You're gonna go to. Uh, are you gonna go straight to Eleuthera, or are you gonna stop at Bimini or other places along the way? I'll stop at Bimini. I'll stop at uh, Fraser Hockey. Probably jump over to Great. 
Well, thanks a lot, Wally, and thanks for helping out uh, so many cruisers. Yes, thank you, Wally. Good chatting with you. Support the casting another time. Bye-bye. In episode four, we talked to Addison Chan. We will talk more about his uh, circumnavigation of Cuba in an upcoming episode, maybe two. In the meantime, I think that I'm going to talk to somebody, a weather expert, about the El Nino effect and South Pacific weather patterns and all that other great stuff uh, in an upcoming episode. Those issues were brought up in episode three with Tate McDaniel, and I thought they were worth investigating further. Check out my book, Slow Boat to the Bahamas. It's a funny look at getting the sailing bug on and going on the big trip with a four-year-old and a four-pound dog. You should also check out How to Sail Around the World Part-Time. That book is going for 99 cents on Amazon.com. Do you dream of sailing around the world? Do you have a business or career you don't want to sacrifice for that dream? You don't need to quit your job, sell your house, and take the kids out of school to complete a circumnavigation of the globe in a sailboat. You don't have to wait until you're retired to sail for the South Pacific. This book tells you how you can do it without uprooting your life by taking as little as two months per year off to sail the trade winds. Check out slowboatsailing.com where you can get a discount off your next purchase at West Marine and find out about all my books and uh, get a link to the show notes in the blog. Goodbye for now. Fair winds. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.